0: Hello, this is Deborah Frances white This is the second of our Secret Policeman's Tour shows. We're back in the Edinburgh Playhouse, where we gave this idea a soft launch last year. This is a show you should really come live to if you possibly can, but we're excited to bring you some highlights. I'd like to thank everyone who performed on the night and gave their time and talent for this incredible cause. Grace Petrie, Rachel Paris, Nishke Ma, Sindhu V, Amal Azadin, Jess Robinson, Larry Dean, Rosie Jones, Siobhan McSweeney, Nicola Coughlin, Sersha Monica Jackson, Jamie Lee O'Donnell, Anna Warren, Steve Alley, Holly McNish, Phoebe Robinson and Desiree Birch. Also working behind the scenes, Gina Dicio, Rachel Craftman, Callum Baker and everyone at Amnesty. Next stop on the tour will be the Manchester Palace Theatre on the 3rd of December. Get your tickets at atgtickets.com or check the Guilty Feminist website for more details. Now, on with the show. Good evening, everybody, and welcome to the Secret Policeman's Tour at the Edinburgh Playhouse. Please welcome to the stage your host for this evening, Amnesty Ambassador Deborah Francis White. <laughs> First of all, I am going to introduce our sign language interpreters, Catherine and Yvonne. I appreciate there's only one person there now. I am aware of that. But they switch in and out because it's too much for anyone to do over one period. So Catherine and Yvonne will be supporting us all evening. Funnily enough, I was, because I was like, oh, you know, it's running around the back. And I got a bit lost spinal tap style because it is really up and down and round the, like, I was, I was, I went down when I was meant to go up. I went up when I was, it was was like Brexit. And (laughs) I didn't know where I was. And then I ended up on the wrong side of backstage and there was a rope saying, don't go past there. But I was being called, so I thought, I'm just going to have to. I'm going to have to be a rebel. I'm going to have to be a revolutionary. I'm going to have to go where I'm not meant to go. And so I ran across, and then a man came up and said, you're not meant to do that, because now you've cast a shadow on the screen. (laughs) The first fucking thing I've done is cast a shadow over human rights. (laughs) Haven't even got on the stage yet. Um, Now, we've got a very special thing. Does anybody listen to BBC's Grown-Up Land? (laughs) Obviously, lying, you know nothing about it. Uh, It's a podcast, but we always have this lovely segment uh, called Steve Ali's Perspective. Oh, okay. There's one very big fan there of Steve Ali's perspective. So Steve Ali is from Syria. Uh, He became a refugee and was displaced and has made his way through death-defying circumstances to the UK. And so this segment is when listeners write in their problems and Steve takes the most first-world problem and he answers it with a refugee answer. He gives you a refugee solution to your first-world problem. So today at The Fringe, we went around and we got some first-world problems... And uh, we are now going to pick one out for Steve to do tonight, okay? Uh, so are you ready to meet Steve Alley? Yeah. Who Steve Alley! Yeah. Hello, hello, hello. 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 Oh, look at you. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> uh, there's a hello. lot of them. Um, so which we I'm, I'm so delighted about that for financial reasons now <laughs> Steve in here it are the questions good. No, you don't get to pick one out we're right. going to get an audience member to pick one out okay so this is the question and you then you're going to have the mm-hmm. first half of the show to write an answer which you will come out and uh, deliver to the audience at the top of the second half of the show are you up for that okay yeah I'm up good well, so yeah, it would be awkward uh, now if not to be honest I've brought okay. that bag I've told them I've got them all excited uh, is there anyone here who feels that they have a job that's most deserving of you know someone, someone who, who, who human rights affects? Do you know what I mean? Your job, your job does something for other human beings. Nobody has a job that helps human beings. It's a parlous state of affairs. Nobody. Okay. Your. What's your name? Alfonso. Alfonso. Oh, men have to do so little, don't they, um, <laughs> to be attractive? Um, swipe right, Alfonso, sure, sounds Italian, lovely. Are you in fact Italian? Spanish. Oh, even more, even better, even, he has to do even less now. Um, so, Alfonso, uh, what's your job?
3: Software engineer.
0: Oh, software engineer, so no, you're part of the problem. Um, (laughs) because it's tech more than banking that's killing the world, and it's the monopolies. Are you working for, uh, like, Bezos or someone terrible? Google, that's not much better. No, that's... I think their official slogan is do no evil. They've fucked that up a lot, haven't they? Cross that fucking line. That's their core value, is do no evil. Okay, so you work for Google, so you will be doing the running. Think of this bag as a search engine. Okay? All right. Okay, so... All right, so your job is not good enough. You can't be the chooser, but you can be the holder. So you are now the embodiment of a search engine. Does it feel familiar? Good. Uh, So who was over here, said that they had a job for human rights? What's your job? Helping children get to boarding school. What do you do? to help them get the right support in school. <laughs> what kind of children? Children with special needs. Okay, okay. Now I see why they applied for the job. Now I see why they applied for the gig. It makes sense now, Steve. That makes
4: a lot of sense now. A lot now. of sense okay. now. Can Are we you happy? Please. So,
0: Alfonso, could you please take the bag to the people who care more about human rights than you? because of every day they get up to help children with special needs. Why are you... No, take it to those people. <laughs> OK, and then they're going to pick one out. OK, all right, so uh, do you want to read this out, Alfonso? You have a better voice, Alfonso.
3: <laughs>
0: I Good forgive answer. everything. I forgive everything, Alfonso, And in fact, Alfonso, I'm just going to put it to you that I think you could do more. I think you could start making, you could start making like sort of, you know, apps and things that could help people and we should talk about what we could do together on the side. I was so distracted by Alfonso. I almost fell backwards over a speaker but that is the charm of a Spanish man. I've said it before, I'll say it again, I do not know why we're leaving the European Union. I'm not suggesting a union, but I am saying, Alfonso, we're still European. There's a a short window where this could be a truly European union. I'm so sorry, I just suddenly realized, is that your girlfriend you're with? So is this just Vance? I'm I'm so so married, Alfonso, and I'm not in one of those open, I'm barely monogamous, to be honest with you. I'm not in one of those, so don't, this is all jokes. Have a lovely evening together. Go home together. You will not be pursued or followed. Now, <laughs> not even online. Okay. All right. do you want me to read it out? Please. Okay. How can I experience life in a refugee camp so I can have a better understanding of the refugee experience without actually living there? <laughs> That is a first-world problem, isn't it? Uh,
4: It is. I just
0: really want to build empathy, but I don't want to in any way be inconvenienced. Um, I think that's key. That's key to my empathy experience. Uh, Do you think you can do something with that, Steve?
4: Yeah, I reckon I can do something with that. All right, everyone say bye-bye, Steve!
0: All right. So exciting, isn't it? We've got so much in store for you tonight. We've got so many amazing, amazing comedians. Are you ready for the first act? He's an incredible, incredible comic. Uh, You will know him from The MASH Report, Live at the Apollo, and all sorts of wonderful things. We will know him from being just a stand-up, amazing guy backstage. Put your hands together and make incredible noises for the wonderful Nish Kumar!
5: Good evening, ladies and gentlemen, how are you? Are you right? <laughs> nice to see you. Great to be here in Scotland. I love Scotland. And it's an interesting time in the last couple of years to come up as a sort of left-wing comedian to Scotland and do political comedy in front of Scottish audiences. Because obviously, there is a lot of tension uh, still remaining in Scotland over the question of Scottish independence. Who, who is in favour of Scottish... Well, wow. <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh. oh, All right. Jesus, calm down, brave hearts. Good God. <laughs> What I would say to the people in favour of Scottish independence is that there are lots of sections of the British left that are broadly sympathetic towards the idea. Certainly in the aftermath of Brexit, the terms of your relationship with the United Kingdom seem to have fundamentally changed. And it seems like there is at least grounds for a second ask at that question. But, on the other hand, please don't leave us with these <laughs> Scotland, I beg you, on behalf of the English left, please... Do not leave us with Wales and Kent. Come and join us. I can't secede from the union. What a time to be English. Awful. The Prime Minister Boris Johnson, a man who's been fired from all of his jobs for incompetence, mendacity or both. At this point, Boris Johnson is less a man and more a performance art prank entitled What If White Privilege Was A Guy? We need to have a second Brexit referendum. I believe that now more than I've ever believed it. We need a say se- Oh, okay, whoa, 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 Okay? This is the guilty feminist. This is the secret policeman's ball. Let's consider this second referendum, people, a safe space. And let's just, for one second, admit that fundamentally, the reason we want a second referendum is because we lost the first one. <laughs> And if we had won 52 to 48, we would not be talking about a second referendum. We'd all be walking around going, the will of the people must be respected. The will of the people must be respected. Remain means remain. Remain means remain. Hard remain. Mandatory croissants for everyone. Sick of people saying, if there's a no-deal Brexit, we'll survive. Why would you vote for something where the best-case scenario is you don't die? (laughs) People keep saying, we survived the Second World War. We survived the Second World War. Firstly, no, we fucking didn't. Millions of people died. Why haven't any of you twats seen any film? Secondly, we is an interesting choice of pronoun. We. I don't remember us surviving the Second World War. They survived the Second World War. We can't survive our phones being at 8% battery. How are you going to withstand the blitzkrieg of the Luftwaffe if at 4.30pm every day you have a full nervous breakdown in your office going, Does anyone have an iPhone charger? Of course the small one. Why do you still have the big one, Darren? It's fine without the button! Also, when we talk about the Second World War, we have no understanding of the nature of British history, right? When we talk about the Second World War, we portray Britain as this plucky island nation that survived on its own. But at the time of the Second World War, Britain still had an empire from which it was able to divert badly needed food and resources. Winston Churchill took food from India and used it to feed starving British people. And that is where the Brexit-World War II comparison, if it ever stood up for one fucking second, fundamentally falls down because I have taken a quick look at the current state Of the British Empire, and all I can say is Gibraltar had better fucking pull his socks up. (laughs) I don't know what they're doing on Gibraltar, but it had best be the mass production of tin goods and insulin. (laughs) Theresa May left office after doing her best to solve the Brexit problem. By just bringing back the withdrawal bill, just the same one every time, just changing the font every time. <laughs> The thing is, right, I've been an outspoken critic of Theresa May in the past. When she left office and when she was standing outside number 10 Downing Street and she was crying, regardless of how you felt about her, on a human level, you had to feel, regardless of how you felt about the Brexit negotiation, the fact that she opened with the phrase, no deal is better than a bad deal, thus quashing any possibility of a compromise soft Brexit, regardless of how you felt about that, you had to feel that on a human, regardless of how you felt about the hostile environment (laughs) policy that she pursued whilst Time Secretary culminating in a situation where members of the Windrush generation were deported from their homes. Regardless of how you felt about that, you had to admit that on it, regardless of how you felt about the Grenfell Tower tragedy <laughs> and the lack of empathy in the response to the situation that left 14 people still have no housing from the Grenfell Tower tragedy, regardless of how you felt about that, you had to admit that on a human level, when Theresa May stood outside 10 Downing Street and cried, it was really funny. <laughs> oh! It was so funny, she was shit at her job and a racist and she cried and I'm happy. <laughs> Thank you very much. See you again.
6: Goodbye! Nish everybody!
0: Our next act uh, is an incredible performance poet. You will really enjoy her very beautiful work. Put your hands together and make incredible noises for Holly McNish!
7: Hello. It's quite hard to go on as a poet on a comedy night, if I'm honest. <laughs> I realise it might not be what you're waiting for, but I'm going to read some poems for you and hope you enjoy them. I, um, I was thinking of what sort of poems to read out and I thought long and hard about it and for some reason I seem to have picked poems about my grandma and fingering. <laughs> and um, not, uh, not at the same time... Um, I'm not really sure what the theme is of this set but <laughs> thanks for having me. So yeah, I thought I would start off with this poem. And it's one I wanted to do it because I'm staying in a hotel tonight and I always get excited staying in hotels. And for the first time about a month ago when I was on tour somebody told me that I should stop stealing the little like shampoo bottles. So I tried to, but my grandmothers have taught me like a lot in my life and one of the main things that they taught me was to steal <laughs> anything like that. And um, so I'm sort of feeling a bit bad about it between my grandmas and the like climate change basically. So, um, so this is a poem about that and I wrote it after a gig in York after the first time I didn't steal a shampoo bottle or a tea bag or anything which I think I should commend myself for and it's um, it's called Nick in the tea bags, or Grandma, please forgive me. This is your fault, Grandma, that I'm like this. I cannot leave the tiny shampoo bottle in the hotel shower, which I do not need to take. I do not need to take it. It will just sit in my bathroom cupboard, unused for years, but I cannot leave it. Or the shower gel, or the body lotion. I don't even use body lotion. This is your fault, Grandma. I cannot leave the tea bags in the basket for the next guest. I cannot leave the biscuits in the packets in the basket for the next guest. This is your fault. I cannot leave the alcohol in the glasses or the barrels or the bottles or all-you-can-drink parties that you pay set fees in advance for. This is your fault. That night, I ended up in a car park in a tutu, thinking the car park was my bedroom because I had to get my money's worth. You have to get your money's worth, Holly. All-you-can-drink, or, or pay in advance parties. There are only five pounds to get into anyway, but don't worry, Grandma. I wasn't hurt. My friend found me. We walked home. It was fine. But Grandma... Remember, you used to order 20 packs of sugars with your tea on the train down from Glasgow just so you could steal the packs of sugar with the excuse that they would have thrown them away anyway after being on your saucer. You never even ordered tea, just a mug of hot water and 20 packs of sugars slipped a tea bag from your handbag so you did not have to pay the full price for a cup of tea on the train today. I left a hotel room for the first time in my life without taking a single teabag, not one. I do not need the teabag, Holly. You do not need the teabag, Holly. World War II is over. But now, <laughs> but now I'm on the train back home, staring out the window, and I can feel you on my shoulder, looking down on me, disgusted, frowning at the loss. What has happened to your family? What has happened to your granddaughter? Whispering traitor, whispering traitor, whispering traitor. Thanks. thanks a lot this one's called cherry pie and it's about my granddad and then I'll move on to basically three poems sort of about fingering I think it seems to be very short ones but this is cherry pie and I wrote it it was it's about the first time that my mum was called into my school she said when I was at primary school because we did a thing about healthy eating or diet and apparently we had to draw like breakfast, lunch and dinner for like seven days. And I only asked for a yellow crayon. And, um, and when <laughs> the teacher asked me why, I just looked blankly and said, because food is yellow. And um, so my mum, my but not my dad, was called in to sort of talk about it. So she did this, I remember she did this like special home cooking and made a cherry pie. when my grandparents came down from Scotland and she sliced it. And the moment she sliced it, my granddad ran to the toilet and threw up. So, um, (laughs) this is a poem about this. Cherry pie. (laughs) When my mum sliced the cherry pie on the table, my granddad ran off and threw up. I'm so sorry, dad, mum said. I'm so sorry, I forgot. I was nine years old then, no idea what had happened, but when my papa came back, he explained. Two weeks of waiting on the shores of a war beach as rowing boats came to collect them. And the only thing there for the soldiers to eat were pre-packaged sweet syrup cherry tins. His mates were shot dead. The cherries were blood red. Stench of rotting in sweet fruit, he was gagging with each breath. He said, war is a sham. We had ice cream instead. He said, be kind, not revengeful, Holly. Don't believe or you read. And don't eat cherries in syrup, because that stuff rots your dreams. Thanks.
2: Thanks for that. Thanks, I'll do
7: some very quick poems for you, and um, yeah, I'll do this one, so there's a couple about being a teenager, because I think they get quite a hard deal a lot of the time, and get blamed for a lot, and um, it's not really political, this one, it's called Yanking, and it's about the first time one of my friends wanted to give a boy a handjob, and um, she asked us all how to do it, and instead of telling her to maybe ask her boyfriend, which only sort of crossed my mind about a year ago, if I'm honest, <laughs> um, and instead of asking some of the many boys that we were good friends with at school, we went and bought a few magazines, which are very good at teaching young girls how to please boys but not themselves, and um, we put all of our sort of amazing 14-year-old sexual knowledge together that we'd gained from these sort of preposition of the Month magazines and told my friends what to do with her boyfriend's penis. And she did it, and he ended up in hospital. So then... (laughs) So this is about that. And then I'll... um, (laughs) Yeah. I'll move very quickly on to the next two. Yeah. That's a sort of poetry way of saying don't worry about clapping after it, because it's sort of in between music and comedy, and sometimes people don't know what to do, and one person claps and feels like a knob. Um, So, (laughs) yanking. Apparently, up and down did not mean like a lever, like Like a door handle, like a joystick, like a casino slot machine. It meant up and down, fingers curved around gentle strokes from shaft to tip. We only learned this after Becky had tried the alternative yanking motion and almost snapped her boyfriend's dick. We gathered, listened, stroked her back, our impulse perfumed shirts. We stroked her back in hidden prayer. Thank fuck, she tried it first. Right, and the next poem. <laughs> the next one. <laughs> Thank you. Thanks a lot. The next one's called Arguing in the Headmaster's Office. And I was very well behaved at school, but I always got told off for my skirt being too short, and it makes me feel sick, this sort of measuring the the knee to the thigh length as if that is a sort of sign of morality. And it's the first time I remember arguing with a teacher at school. And it didn't do any good, but I wrote a poem about it. Arguing in the Headmaster's Office. It's very short, the poem. He said... (laughs) He said... My skirt was distracting the lads. Roll it down, legal length, below knees, like a nun. I said, Some of the boys have their trousers so tight, I can see the outline of their dicks, sir. I still managed to get on with my work. Thanks. Thank you. Right. right, two short ones to finish off. Thank you so much for. Um, Having me here at this bloody brilliant night. Um this one is called Reducing My Carbon Footprint, which I thought was appropriate this evening. But yeah, I got asked to do a sort of environmental poem and I got sent lots of things about reducing your carbon footprint. And um it felt like everything that you could swap this for this and swap this for this, everything sort of came down to masturbation, in my head being like the most carbon neutral activity <laughs> out of everything. <laughs> so this is, is sort of about that. So I figure I'll just so everything that I do with masturbation. Um, so this is called, yeah, reducing my carbon footprint for anyone else who cares about the environment as much as I do. <laughs> Getting fingered nicely in the toilet of a pub is better for the planet than a takeaway coffee cup. Thank you. <laughs> Thanks a <so much>. lot. <laughs> Just if you were wondering what to do at the break. Um, I, don't know. <laughs> I don't know what the cups are like in the cafe. But All right, this is my final one. Thank you very, very much. This is called Shoulders, and it's just a poem about my shoulders because I think that I've got very nice shoulders. That's all. It's not ironic, I kind of think. All right. My shoulders are fucking delicious. Smeared with freckles, blodged like dirty speckled come-ons. Jumpers always fall off one shoulder, flesh to show off. T shirt tops near sacrilegious covers of these perched, glowing, dappled, oval beauties. I know I shouldn't boast about my body, but I'm so bored of being bad to it, so fuck it. I will brag. My shoulders are fucking delicious. No one's told me, it's just a fact. Thank you very,
3: very much.
6: <clears throat> Have a lovely evening. Good All right, put
0: your hands together and make incredible and wonderful noises for the all over the television, the fabulous, the incredible, the super talented Rachel Paris! Hello!
8: Hello, everyone. Yes, I'm back. Uh, I can't get enough, but this time I'm using words instead of music. You're welcome. Uh, Because I'm what they call in show business, a triple threat. (laughs) Yes, I said it. Because I do music, and I do jokes, and I will cut you. (laughs) Just just something I picked up in Motherwell there. Um, (laughs) I don't know if you're booing me or Motherwell, hard to say. Um, I, I won't keep you long. I just wanted to talk. We're all here because of human rights and because of feminism. And I think feminism—it um, should be an easy idea, but it's not. Not everyone is a feminist. So I'm a feminist, obviously. <laughs> Thank you. I don't think you're alone. Um, I, I'm a feminist. Oh, you know who isn't? Who isn't? Um, who isn't? <laughs> Okay, good. So, the thing is, feminism means different things to different people. You know, it really does. Well, i just have to tell you, I asked this question uh, at the Apollo Theatre. And so, like, you know, thousands of people. And I said, is anyone not a feminist? And this lady, three rows back, went, me, I'm not. <laughs> Which is fine, you know, no judgment here. <laughs> um, and, um, and I just was amazed at her confidence to own not being a feminist to a female comedian in front of thousands of people on recorded live TV, you know, it was astonishing. Where do you get that level of confidence from, I wondered to myself. And then I answered myself from the hundreds of years of work of women fighting on your behalf against the patriarchy, but... um, (laughs) Uh, that's what, I suppose that's where you get it from. But um, So I want to talk about, I, I think I've identified four things that make you a feminist. I think, I think I've identified those four things. So I'd like to talk to you about those. But much like Mike Pence, I don't feel comfortable being in a room with women without a male chaperone. So to help me with this bit, please welcome Nish Kumar. Come on. Bring it in. Well... You look scared.
5: I am I am terrified, Rachel. <laughs> you, 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 I spent most of my professional life being sassed by you, and now, in this section of the show, uh, which you have declined to show me the script for... <laughs> You'll am.
8: probably be fine. <laughs> so, really, I suppose I'm using you as a sort of male guinea pig sure. for my rules of feminism, okay. if you like. Um, so, I think the first rule is you believe that men and women... Are equal. So that's it. I think the even niche would agree
5: I, with that. What do you mean, even? Of course, I agree with that. <laughs> sure. And I don't like the use of the word even in that <laughs> statement. So
8: you are on board with that idea?
5: I'm, uh, yes, I've described myself as very much a passenger on that voyage.
8: Amazing. So he's got <laughs> one out of four um, <laughs> so far. Uh, so the second thing I think is, is a, a, little bit, a little bit harder actually, and it shouldn't be, but it is, is the idea that, um, that that equality hasn't been achieved yet. Because, you know, a lot of people are like, yes, men and women should be equal, women should have more rights, but, but that idea is that's happened now, so stop harping on about it in your shrill
5: voices. Well, I, I've never, I'm not accu- that I'm the last person to accuse someone of having a shrill voice. <laughs> Oh, I did not like that size of that laugh. I have ne- like,
8: never said that. Am I making you uncomfortable? Would you want me to stop talking and shut up?
5: No, that, no
3: that's... that's...
8: <sighs> well, I... I'll say I'll give you a half point on that one. <laughs> um, the, th- <laughs> the third one is that you want to do something... To make that equality happen, it might be a small thing. It might be like signing a petition. It might be doing loads of. You might be organising a huge gig. It might be lots of. But you have to do something. It's not enough to just wish it. So Nish, what have you done <laughs> to help the feminist cause? It's not a trick, Nish, because he has. He has done things. He has. You know. You have, haven't you? Tell us
5: some things that you've done. <laughs> just. I'm a. Yeah. Well, I went to see Lizzo at Glastonbury. Um, <laughs> Good, I, uh, good. Um, that's a good one. Trying to, you, you know, trying to make sure that the sort of creative team behind the MASH report is, uh, is gender parity. Um, my support acts on tour were almost exclusively female. That's good, To the extent goodness. that Catherine Bohart scared. said it looked like I was trying to cover something up, which didn't make <laughs> me feel good.
8: You see, that's good. So it's not a trick. You, you have done loads yes. of things. Yes. For the You're a great yes. feminist, Yes. I think... We have to give Nish a round of applause now. As a shining example of doing just the absolute bare minimum that a heterosexual, (laughs) a heterosexual cisgender man in a position of power should do. And you're absolutely nailing that, Nish. You really are. Which brings me to point four, to be a feminist, which is, of course, the old one. (laughs) Despise all men. Um... (laughs) That's a joke, on Nish. Obviously, that's completely optional. Um, and, you know, that's obviously not true, because you are a man, I suppose. Um, and I don't, despise, I don't despise Nish at all. I think he copes very well. So, all in all, Nish, you get... I think you've got two and a half, which is a pass. Is that a pass? Yes! I've done it! Nish Kumar, everyone. Technically a feminist. <laughs> I've been Rachel
6: Paris, she has been Nish Kumar. Have a wonderful night! <laughs> Rachel Paris everybody! And two and a half for Nish Kumar. Now here
0: at the Secret Policeman's Tour, we're not just funny, we're also incredibly interesting. Our next speaker is a human rights defender. That's right. Do you find any of your human rights lying around on the floor? No one's defending them, Afonso. This person will. <laughs> She is a campaigner for human rights and social justice in Scotland. Woo! Scotland! She is the Human Rights and Equalities Officer at the Mental Health Foundation. Mental health! So you shouldn't really say mental health like a football chant, should you? Scotland! Mental health! Mental health! Oi, 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 lads, lads, lads! Mental mental health, mental health, mental health, mental health! Although we should. <laughs> Amal is an ambassador for the Scottish Refugee Council and was honoured with the University of Glasgow's World Changing Alumni Award 2018. That's right. We don't just bring you any human rights defender, only award winning ones. Amal has collaborated with Amnesty UK for several years and will join the Amnesty School Speaker Program this year. She's also known as one of the Glasgow Girls, but she'll tell you more about that. Put your hands together
6: for Amal Azadin!
9: Good evening, folks. It's such an honor and a pleasure to be with you all here tonight. Amnesty International is such a big place in my heart for many reasons, and uh, some of them you'll hear tonight. So I came to the UK when I was 10 years old from Somalia, East Africa. In the year 2000, my mom decided that we had to leave Somalia to basically find a place that's safe for us, a place where I could go to school and go to university and then go to work and so on and so forth. Unfortunately, we didn't have enough money for my father to come with us. It was just me, my mom, and she was pregnant with my wee sister at that time. So we left Somalia. We arrived in the UK, we arrived in London. And after a year and a half in London, my mom had approached the home office to see if we could get our own accommodation because we were living with other people at that time. And they said, yeah, that's fine. You can live uh, in the UK, but we would have to disperse you elsewhere. So we would have to send you somewhere else 10 minutes, 20 minutes from London, you know, so we thought that's not too bad. You know, it's not that far, 10 minutes, 20 minutes. And of course that wasn't the case. Um, (laughs) one day a huge coach came and there were lots of different families in this coach. And I felt like we did a tour of the UK that day because different families were being dispersed elsewhere and different places. And my family were not getting off. So my mom didn't speak any English at that time. So she said, Amal, can you go and speak to the bus driver and see if we're getting off anytime soon? I said, yeah, of course, no bother. I'll speak to the bus driver. And I said, excuse me, sir, is my family getting off anytime soon? And he's like, aye, you're last. And I was like, right, we're, we're last. Okay, where are we getting off? And he's like, oh, Glasgow. And I was like, I'm sorry, what? <laughs> and he's like, you know, Glasgow. And I was like, no, I don't know Glasgow. <laughs> and he's like, Scotland? And I was like, oh my goodness, where's Scotland? And he's like, right, just sit back down. Obviously, I didn't have this accent back then, but you know, just work with me here. <laughs> so we arrived in Glasgow in the year 2001. I started Drumchapel High School. And then in the year 2004, our family received refugee status, which basically meant that the government believed our story and that we were allowed to stay in the UK for as long as we wanted. And I still remember, getting that piece of paper that day because I knew that that piece of paper meant that me and my family were safe, were secure, I could go to school. After that I could go to uni, my mom could work and so on and so forth. But my other friends were still waiting for that piece of paper, but we still continued with life. So in 2005, something else happened that changed my life forever. I was 15 years old. One of my school friends who was also 15 was down raided and detained. Basically, 14 home office immigration officers went to Agnes's flat, handcuffed her father, detained the family, and sent them to a detention center in England called Yarlswood, and locked them up like criminals for three weeks. Now, nobody chooses to be an asylum seeker, nobody chooses to be a refugee, nobody chooses to leave their family, their loved ones, the weather, for no reason. <laughs> Don't get me wrong, the best thing to happen to me and my family was to come to Scotland, to come to Glasgow. The Home Office obviously regrets it now, but you know, we're all good. <laughs> so when my friend was detained like that, I thought, I have to do something. This is not right. Children especially should not be treated like that. Innocent human beings should not be treated like that. Next thing I knew, I was on the newspapers, on the TV, and myself and six other girls from our school became known as the Glasgow girls. (laughs) Thank you. Thank you. Three weeks later, our friend Agnesa was released from detention after much campaigning, not just from us, but from everyone in the community. Everyone came together from all walks of life to say that actually, this is our family. They're human beings. They're people before they are refugees. Don't use those labels against them. So thankfully they were released, they have refugee status, they're happy living in Glasgow, but we were not successful. And I guess that's what makes our story true, is that we don't win every time, but actually we have to keep on going. Because if we don't stand up for what's right, then who will? And that's what encouraged me to stand up for what's right and to continue campaigning for others. And it reminds me of a family that I visited in Cali who were just sent there because of what was happening in Syria and many other countries in the world. But the people that I will also never forget is the unaccompanied children that were without their families. And this is what I'm hoping you all can make a difference in tonight. There are so many children in the UK who cannot reunite with their families because of the UK immigration policies. If there's a refugee family here who have their asylum case approved, they can reunite with their children. However, if there's a refugee child who's also been accepted, that child cannot reunite with their family, which does not make any sense. A lot of the countries that are neighbors to the UK have said that actually reuniting families together have not meant that, you know, numbers will grow up or anything like that. What it meant that is that people will reunite with their people. Children will reunite with their families. I mean, think of you, yourself. How can you thrive without your family, you know? So there are three things I'm asking tonight and three things that you can help me with. And no, it's not asking for money. You can keep that. (laughs) So one of the things is child refugees would have the right to sponsor their close family members to come to the UK so that they can rebuild their lives together. Second part is that young people who have turned 18 and elderly parents would also be able to live in safety with their families here. Lastly, refugees who have lost everything could access legal aid to help them navigate the complicated process of being reunited with their families. So by signing Amnesty International's petition, you can help urge the Home Office Secretary Priti Patel to challenge the rules and help reunite more people with their families in the UK. All you need to do is text TOGETHER plus your name to 70505 and saying HELP REUNITE FAMILIES. Thank you so much for your time. Thank you for coming tonight and enjoy the rest of it. Thank you so much.
0: Really, that's uh, the—that's for a young person like that. Not just to say, "Oh, I'm all right. Pull the ladder up, Jack." You know, she got in and became one of the Glasgow girls, and then went on to marry George Clooney. What a life! (laughs) Um, Absolutely amazing. Now is the time for our Home Secretary to listen and seize the opportunity to make a lasting difference to the lives of refugees in the UK. Children need their parents. By signing Amnesty's petition. You can urge the Home Secretary to change the rules and reunite more refugee families in the UK. Text together plus your name to 70505. So I would text together Deborah to 70505. Please note Amnesty International will also call you about ways to support their amazing and life saving work, including fundraising. Text no call one word to 70505 to opt out. For details, see amnesty.org.uk slash SMS terms.
1: Mom deserves better than a drugstore card. This Mother's Day, surprise her with a truly special personalised card from Moonpig. Add your favourite photos, a heartfelt message, and we'll even mail it for you the same day, all for just $5. From mom to grandma, we have something to celebrate every mom in your life. Every mom deserves a Moonpig card. Get 50% off your first card at Moonpig.com.
2: Moonpig.com
1: When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM.
10: Confidence starts with loving who you are.
0: wonderful act you'll know him from the television but he is an absolute fringe legend and favorite it's the wonderful larry dean
11: thank you very much thank you hello hello nice to meet you i'm larry i don't i'm nowhere near as creepy as i look by the way i know i've got weird eyes I've been told I look like that guy you always see at the gym, but he's never working out. (laughs) Is today your leg day. (sighs) I've also been told I look like your son's friend that you just don't trust. (laughs) Last weekend of The Fringe. I'm looking forward to it being over just because I've not seen my mum in a month. I'm missing my mum so much. I'm such a mummy's boy. It's so sad, man. Like, she's weird. She's posh. She's very posh. She's a posh Scott, so she talks like this. You ever heard a posh Scott talk before? It is
12: like this. So my mum sounds like a whale. She's one of those posh people that don't seem to have any bones. Like,
11: you are the ones you see them, like, gliding through Waitrose, like... Mm. <laughs> My mum's so posh so she's got a double-barrel surname. But she's posh enough that the second part of it is silent. <laughs> I love her laugh, though. Her laugh's amazing. Because when we laugh, we kind of go, ha 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 Like, lots of ha's thrown in. My mum gives you one ha. And then her voice, it's extraordinary. It's just... <laughs> So she's so easy to find at a party. <coughs> Is that your mum or a ferry's coming in? Sometimes you get a few has from her, she'd be going...
3: <coughs> <coughs> <coughs>
11: I can never find my mum at the supermarket. I've only ever seen my mum piss herself laughing a few times. All the has come together very quickly. Like, <laughs> my dad was sat next to her and he goes, Fucking hell, Mary, you sound like a metal detector. <laughs> yeah, my mum's been a good pal since uh, I went for a breakup a few months ago, and my mum's been really good since that, man. Because I was like, up here starve myself after a breakup, and my mum was going, well, Larry, no, don't do that. I'm gonna to go to the supermarket. I'm gonna buy you some food and me some plankton. Well, the breakup was difficult. I was going out with this Australian guy for a while, and uh, oh yeah, guy, just so you know. And uh, it's weird because I feel like I need to like say that I'm gay, but then some it's weird. some audience members are funky about it. They're like, Man, why do you have to tell us that you're gay? Why do you have to tell us that you're gay?" It's like, I'm not telling you. I'm warning you. <laughs> There's nothing scarier than a gay, Glaswegian. Cos I'll stab you, but in a good way.
5: I was, um, I was
11: going out with this, uh, this Australian guy for a while. Nice guy, nice guy. Loved him a lot. And um, his name was Luke. Uh, it still is Luke. I didn't get my revenge that badly. But <laughs> well, we were going out for a while, man. It was, uh, it was weird the break up because like, I was the organised one of uh, the relationship. Because most relationships are made up of an organised one and a disorganised one. And the reason why they get together is organised people look at disorganised ones when they first see them. And they're like, wow. They're so laid back. (laughs) They must have everything (laughs) organised. And then you lie to yourself for a few months. You'll be like, oh gosh, they're so organised. And then a couple of months passes and that smoke screen leaves you very quickly and you're just left going, how are you not dead yet? (laughs) And by this point, it's too late. You think, oh, I, I can I wonder if I should break up. I can break up, but I thought they'd be organized, but they're not, they're disorganized. But I'm the only organized one, should I break? I can't break up with them. I've made plans for us both. <laughs> so that's what happened. He, he broke up with me, which uh, was a bit, of a, a bit annoying, but it's nice, I've got to realize who real friends are. Like my mom has been my best friend ever. And also my mate Saha, he has to get a shout out, man. My mate Saha has been brilliant. He's been very comforting because he's a Southern Irish person and that's a lovely accent to hear when you're going through a break- yes, lo- Oh, it's such a lovely accent. I love the accent. It's so nice and soft. Because, to be fair, you don't want to talk to a Northern Irish person when you're going through a breakup because that's not comforting at all, is it? <laughs> oh, Larry, you think your breakup's bad? <laughs> what would I do with this car? <laughs> you want revenge, do you? Oh, I can do that for you. Don't no worry. I've noticed the difference of the a- I love Northern Irish people, but the difference of the accent is Northern Irish people do not move their mouth when they're talking. I think it's because they think the English might be lip-reading them. <laughs> well, the Southern Irish accent is lovely. Because basically, to do the Southern Irish accent, all you need to do is songs. if you're walking down the stairs. And, geez, you forgot something, you've got to go back up again. And my mate, Sahar, has been giving me advice. And, oh, the reason why it's called Sahar, by the way, is Sahar is half-Irish, half-Israeli. That guy loves a border. <laughs> but he's been giving me like, the clichés. Like, clichés are annoying at the best of times. Right? But the clichés that he's getting... Right, this one did kind of wind me up. I thought it was so stupid, right? Because he goes, Larry, you've got to remember, a breakup is a lot like bereavement. I think a breakup's worse than bereavement. My grand did not die so she could fuck other people.
3: <laughs>
11: oh yeah, I'll be a... You've been absolutely lovely. I'll be at CC Blooms, if anybody, because I'm making the most of the Edinburgh gay man. It's pretty, oh yeah. Totally, man, yeah. Because I like the Glasgow gay bars, but they're a bit more intimidating than the. the, the, the gay bars in Glasgow that if you drop your phone, you're just going to have to kick it home.
4: <laughs> Folks, you've
11: been absolutely lovely. You've got a great lineup, up, Eddie I mean, Larry Dean. You enjoy yourself, Taylor. Thank
6: The incredible Larry Dean! Don't say we haven't brought you anyone Scottish.
0: Look how Scottish he was. Now, if this sketch were written today, it would be called the Oppression Olympics. Because it is about four men outdoing each other. What kind of men I hear you ask? Yorkshire Yorkshire men. And we just got together backstage and we thought, who's had it even harder than Yorkshire men?
6: And the answer we came up with was... Yorkshire women, please welcome to the stage now for something completely different Jessica Bustercube, Sophie Duker, Rosie Jones,
13: Not bad at all. Aye. Nothing like a good glass of
12: Chateau de Chasselier, aye, Mrs. Josiah. <laughs> oh, you right there, Mrs. The Battaglia. you were dead, right. <laughs>
14: Who just thought forty years ago that we'd be sitting here drinking Chateau de Chasselier? Aye,
12: oh,
13: we'd have been glad of the price of a cup of tea then.
14: Mm. A cup of cold tea. Yeah, <laughs> tea. Without milk or sugar. Out- oh, oh. Tea!
12: Out
13: of a cracked cup and oh. out that, yeah? We never had a cup. We used to drink out of a
12: rolled-up newspaper.
13: The best we could manage was to suck on a piece of
12: damp cloth. But, you know, I don't think we were happier then, although we were poor.
13: Because we were poor. I, I know, my old mum used to say to me, money won't bring you happiness, our
14: oh, mm, She was right. I were happier then and I had nothing. We used to live in a tiny, tumble down old house with great holes in roof. House? You were lucky to have a house. <laughs> we used to live in a six
13: seater Edinburgh fringe venue over a pub. <laughs> Twenty six of us, no furniture. Half the floor was missing. We were all huddled in one corner in fear of a one star review from the Scotsman.
10: A
12: <laughs> six? Think... Peter had in the French <laughs> venue over the pub. Well, you were lucky. <laughs> we had to live on that de- in the Labour ward.
13: Undertook bed in a labour ward? I used to dream of living undertook bed in a labour ward. That would have been a palace to us. We we used to live in the men's toilets of a (laughs) nightclub. Every morning we got woke up by having a load of locker room talk dumped on us. (laughs) Labour ward house.
14: (laughs) Well, when I say house... I mean, it were only an all in the ground covered by a couple of foot of torn canvas, but it were an ouse to us.
13: We were evicted from our all in the ground. We had to go and live back inside our mother's womb.
12: (laughs) 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 Womb. 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 (laughs) <laughs> Are you from Yorkshire? <laughs> <laughs> Are any of you from Yorkshire? <laughs> Fucking hell. <laughs> <laughs> well... You were lucky to have a womb. (laughs) There were uh, 150 of us living in an empty box of Tampax (laughs) in the middle of the road.
13: Super Plus? I, well, they... uh, you were lucky. <laughs> we lived for three months in the gender pay gap. <laughs> Every morning we'd have to get up at six, clean out the gap, eat a crust of stale bread. Then we'd have to go and work 14 hours at mill day in, day out for half the wage the men were getting. And they were on unpaid internships. <laughs> and when he'd come home, the patriarchy would thrash us to sleep with its penis. <laughs> Luxury! We used to get up at three, clean the inside of our mother's womb, <laughs> eat, eat a handful of hot gravel, then we'd work in mill for 20 hours for twopence a month in five inch and we'd come home and the patriarchy would beat us about the head and neck with a can of Lynx Africa
12: if we were lucky. Paradise. That sounds like we had it tough i used to get out of a, a box of at midnight look sexy and innocent <laughs> 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 While licking the road clean, eat a bit of cold gravel, work 23 hours a day at mill for a penny every four years. (laughs) And when we got home, the patriarchy... He said slice ocean now with a cotton jab about our flies.
14: <laughs> right. <laughs> we used to get up in the morning at half past ten at night, half an hour before we'd gone to bed. <laughs> eat a lump of low-carb, sugar-free Weight Watchers, own brand poison <laughs> work 29 hours a day at mill for a halfpenny a lifetime come home and each night the patriarchy would come, slit our throats with a shard from the glass ceiling <laughs> and bury us in historical obscurity <laughs>
13: Aye, but you try and tell that to the young people of today. Will they believe you?
3: No. no.
6: <laughs> <laughs>
0: actual Yorkshire woman there, did you see that? Don't say we don't give you value for money. Now, are you ready to hear the answer to the question pulled out of the hat and sort of read by Alfonso? Then you will need to join me in clapping your hands and making incredible woohooing noises for the one, the
6: only, the amazing Steve (laughs) Ali!
4: Hello again! Having a good night? Great. So, how can you experience a life in a refugee camp without having to actually going to one? Well, short answer, Glastonbury. When I lived, when I lived in the Calais jungle, all British volunteers who came there said that this is just like Glastonbury, but without the bands. <laughs> well, some might say this was incredibly tactless, but they meant well. They, most of them were from you know, public school students, so uh, I guess what they were trying to say is don't feel so bad, we've got one just like this back home. <laughs> but don't mock them, they could have been trying to get on in Chelsea, you Chelsea. Know? So uh, they were volunteering in the refugee camp, which is more than you've done. Uh, (laughs) When I finally managed to get to the UK after escaping a war zone and crossing a continent on foot and crossing a sea in a dinghy and working as a firefighter in a refugee camp, I was so intrigued by this Glastonbury and I wanted to go so bad, but last year it wasn't on. Just my luck. This year, though, I said, Glastonbury, I'm here for you. But guess what? Sold out! <laughs> that was my first clue that it's not like the Kali jungle. <laughs> because, because a refugee camp is never sold out. And there was no VIP tickets. There were backstage passes, but you don't want them. Being the refugee that I am, I don't let a little thing stand in my way, like no official papers. So... Um, <laughs> I did what every self-respecting refugee would do in a crisis. I found a guy who knows a guy who knows a guy. (laughs) Now, you're not allowed to uh, use somebody else's ticket to go to Glastonbury. So I had to use my refugee experience of being master of disguise and pretend to be a man called Ollie Seaton. I didn't look exactly like Oli Seaton's passport photo, so I had to practice to perfect my English accent so I don't get caught. And the only thing I knew about Oli Seaton from his name only, that he was definitely English. (laughs) When you are being questioned as a refugee, you learn to say as little as possible. British people always want to over-explain and make excuses and apologize, even before they've been found out. Oh, sorry. I've got my friend's ticket, and he's got my ticket, and he's already gone in. <laughs> what am I like? So sorry. How embarrassing! <laughs> well, <laughs> you can't do that when you're a refugee. You get deported. <laughs> you answer the question and give as little information as possible. Never tell any lies that you don't have to. So I practiced my English accent. Ollie Seaton. Ollie Seaton. Ollie Seaton. Because they are only going to ask you, what's your name? And they might probably ask me, like, do you have any other ID or something? And I learned to practice, not on me. Not on me? Not on me? Oh. <laughs> Worked like a charm. Boom, I was through the gate, and I was inside. No problems. When I got in, I have to admit it, it was exactly like a refugee camp <laughs> in <Glastonbury. laughs> However, there are some fundamental differences between Glastonbury and the refugee camp. Number one, British people don't know how to operate the piece of equipment that we in the refugee business call the tent. (laughs) Next time I go, I'm going to be offering tutorials for people to erect their tents in under three minutes, and also how to run away from the police while they are inside the tent, so they don't (laughs) leave it behind. The second fundamental difference between Glastonbury and a refugee camp is the loose. In Calais, The loos were never that bad. (laughs) Middle-class British people, I have to say, your festival loos are frankly disgusting. (laughs) Shameful. (laughs) We would have cleaned them. What are you doing? (laughs) And the litter, middle-class British people. Cali was never that bad. Refugees are always worried to be judged. Why aren't you? (laughs) The final reason Cali is not like being in Glastonbury is that in Calais I never complained. I was moaning non-stop in Glastonbury. I was going, how far do we need to walk? How far more do we need to walk from this? I was like, I walked across a continent to get here. And then I was like, the rose isn't cold enough. I, there were times. There were times I had to eat snow because I didn't have water. What have you done to me? I'm soft, and it's your fault. Bush <laughs> British people have even named their injuries after their privilege. I've got tennis, tennis elbow. <laughs> my name's Ollie Seaton. I've run a marathon for a charity. My name's Ollie Seaton. I've got athlete's foot. I've got millionaire's migraine. I've, my head hurts before because I've been counting all my money. My name's Ollie Seaton. My verdict, you complain when you, when you don't have to camp but when you do, you just get on with it. You can never really pretend to be in a refugee camp. Having said that, Scotland, you might have to have some refugee camps at some point soon when Brexit <laughs> happens and you go independent and uh, rejoin the EU. You might get English people tearing up <laughs> <laughs> in droves, cap in hand at your borders and saying Not on me, my name's Ollie Seaton.
14: (laughs) (laughs) Thank you very much.
6: Ollie Seaton, everybody!
0: (laughs) He's one of my favourite people. He's one of my special people. If you enjoyed Steve Alley's Perspective, uh, there's well over 40 episodes of uh, Grown-Up Land, on uh, BBC Sounds, Steve always says you need to make comedy out of it because if you make comedy out of it, then people can take it and then, you know their armour comes off. But also, I think Steve says that because when he first moved in with us, he had never done comedy. And when I went back to Calais and I met um, volunteers back there, they'd say, oh, Steve Alley's living in your spare room. What's he doing? And I'd say, comedy. And they'd go, Steve Alley, the firefighter guy. No, he's very serious and quiet. And I was like, no, he's doing comedy now. And um, one day I said to him would you like to do an improv class? Because our friends were doing improv classes. And he said, I don't think I'd be very good at it, but I think I should do it because of my situation. And I said, what's your situation, Steve? And he went, well, I live with you, so I have to do comedy. LAUGHTER so that's the opportunities I'm being offered, and I'm a refugee, so that's what I do. He said, if you were journalists, I'd be writing for The Guardian now. But you do comedy, so that's what I do now. And I realised, oh my God, it's like a vaudeville family in the 1800s. who go around, the child is born in the vaudeville trunk, and then has to pop out and do an act. It was really fascinating to me that one thing that I've really noticed about refugees is you ask them, would you like to do this? I say to Steve, I can say anything to Steve. And I said, there's no, why is there no nervousness? You've never done this before. He went, because I can't die from it. (laughs) And he said, so many of the things that I've had to do, I can die from. So now anything I can't die from, I go, sure. Because of my situation. (laughs) (laughs) I will say, losing your human rights and getting them back again, you can feel the shift. I actually remember the day that Steve uh, got his papers. He had to go to Bolton to get them. Um, he didn't know that it was definitely going to be them. He said he thought it was, and I thought it probably was, and I thought it was just a letter from the Home Office. And I was trying to lower his expectations and say, maybe it's not that, maybe it's just a letter. He said, no, I feel it, it's my papers, it's my papers. And then he was on the National Express back from Bolton because he hadn't suffered enough. And. Um, <laughs> And I texted him and I was like, well, and he texted back, unfortunately, I'm going to be living with you for longer because i got my papers. He fucking X-Factor judges houses me. (laughs) And then he said, I just don't know how to feel about it, though, because it's like every bad thing that's ever happened to me is falling off the side of this page. And he said, I can't believe, like, I've now got the first six years. I haven't had the right to a doctor. I haven't had the right to a lawyer. There's been not one patch of ground in the whole world where it's been legal for me to breathe the air. For six years, there's been nowhere on the planet that I could live where I wasn't going to die. And he said, I don't know how to feel, I just feel numb. And I said, well, Steve, the human brain is a lot like the home office. It takes a while to process things. (laughs) It's just made me acutely aware what it means to lose your rights. And that's really, it's Steve that's made me connect with Amnesty International, because I didn't really think about it before. And now I think you can lose them. Anything you value, anything that you love is a right and it can be taken away, it can be lost. So we must fight for them now and we must fight for other people who've lost them because we're going to maybe need someone to fight for us. So we promised you we would get back to climate change. Uh, What Amnesty feel is that oxygen is very much a human right (laughs) and uh, water, not living below it, a human right. So, it's really, really important that we focus on climate change right now because uh, we are running out of time. So, to discuss this and make it fun, because I know what you're thinking, can't we get back to the bit with the Dairy Girls? Surprise! We are getting back to a bit with the Dairy Girls. Here to talk about climate change Nicola Coughlin, Siobhan McSweeney, Sergio Monica Jackson, Jamie Leo O'Donnell, and a school striker from Edinburgh, Anna Warren! Just pull up, pull up chairs. Yeah, I don't
2: know what to do. clearly haven't rehearsed this, but. <laughs> um, so
0: hello, everybody. Hello. Um, so just to introduce you as not your characters, uh, Saoirse Monica Jackson, <laughs> who, who plays Erin. Um, Siobhan McSweeney, who plays <laughs> Sister Michael. Uh, Nicola Coughlin, um, uh, who plays Wee Claire. And uh, Jamie Lee O'Donnell, who plays Michelle. And Anna Warren, who is a real-life student here in Edinburgh. She's just graduated from secondary school. And she is one of the Friday strikers for climate change. So can you tell us a little bit about what the Global Strike is?
15: Yes. so the Global Strike was started by Greta Thunberg, who at the time was 15. um, And she decided that her education... Wouldn't matter and wouldn't be important if we didn't have a future. Um, so a year later, it's been a year since the first strikes. Millions and millions of school kids have skipped school on Fridays to get our voice across that we need action for the climate crisis, and we need it now.
0: And we really do. You do. And what's happening on the 20th of so September? So this is
15: the next global strike. So instead of school children striking off school, which we will still be doing, we're inviting adults, grandparents, everyone from every generation to come and join us um, to show that we are all in it together and that we all want change.
0: Amazing. Woo! 20th of September, put it in your diaries. So I'm already going to hand this over uh, to the amazing cast of Dairy Girls who we have here. Saoirse, do you have any questions for Anna?
2: Obviously, we get in a lot of trouble, um, our characters and dairy Girls, with Sister Michael. How has your school been with your absence with the strikes? So,
15: personally, my school wasn't too bad about it. I did put up posters and they were taken down, but we just put them back up. Okay. <laughs> um, we have heard of a lot of people who have had problems. One, There was one scenario in England where everyone who skipped school on Fridays to strike got banned from going to their prom. So it has been quite strict for some people and some people have like, suffered quite bad consequences. Did, did that
0: deter them or did they do it anyway?
15: Uh, no, they did it anyway.
0: I mean...
14: <laughs> Brilliant. It, that, yeah. I think, really
0: takes a stand. And says, fine, stop us going to a dance. It's just not as important as being able to breathe in and out in 12 years there's no
2: point in having a prom if there's no oxygen around and in the prom yeah. it's kind of defeats the purpose of dancing <laughs> if you can't follow your lungs with air you know what I mean Maybe a bit harder
0: yeah it's so true it's so true it's just you know I think what Greta's doing is incredible because she's just going can you not see like the building's on fire someone's pulled the fire alarm it's there's everything the, fire, the floor's getting hotter and everyone's just going would you like another chardonnay <laughs> that's how, I'm really, I saw her speak to. the she says that's how she feels. She's just like, why is everyone not running around? The scientists have said it's an emergency. So Jamie Lee, do you have any questions for Anna?
2: Yeah, so you've been doing this since the start of the year, isn't that right? And I'm just wondering, as you say millions of school kids have done it, do you think this is actually working? Do you feel that there's a change since the start of the year to now?
15: I feel like, yeah, if you had said this time last year that there would be millions of kids striking off school because they don't like what their governments are doing... People would have laughed in your face. Mm. So in that sense, yes, it's made a massive change. And it's made a massive change in the way that people listen to youth's voices as well. But more needs to be done, we're nowhere near. Well, we've not got as far as we should have done. Like our government has declared a climate emergency, but they have done absolutely nothing since then. So mm. we are in going in the right direction, but
0: no, we're not we're not far enough yet. Okay. But now actually you need support. It's not enough for So I think so many people say, oh, we'll just let the children do it. Mm -hmm. I hear it all the time. The next generation will sort it out. And I just think, what if Emmeline Pankhurst had gone, I mean, the girls seem very clear that they want to vote. (laughs) I'm sure they'll organise it. (laughs) Do you know what I mean? If Martin Luther King had gone, that 14-year-old, he's probably quite keen. (laughs) It's like, it's so extraordinary that we're sort of leaving it to you. So it's great that you're now saying... No, come join us. And
2: it works as well. as getting the ball rolling mm-hmm. for everybody else to join in. Siobhan? Yes?
0: Uh, do you have any questions for Anna?
2: It's interesting that
14: you said that, Deborah, about like, um, you know, what Martin Luther King go. I'm sure a 14-year-old person will have a dream. I'll just continue on. Yeah. <laughs> with it. But I personally am waiting for the young people to sort it out. That's my, <laughs> that's my pension. <laughs> that is literally what I'm planning. <laughs> my nieces and nephews will sort it out for me. What is it? I mean, uh, I probably never mention it. Uh, You probably don't know this about me, but I am involved in uh, the abortion rights campaign in Northern Ireland.
0: Um, You are literally wearing a t-shirt that reads decriminalise.
14: Your breasts have
0: brought it up all evening.
14: I I apologise on behalf of my breasts, again. (laughs) (laughs) But the repeal movement in the Republic, even though there have been so many people um, for generations and for decades who have been working towards this moment, you know, Ava Smith, many, 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 many people, it was very much a grassroots, young woman-led movement. And I sort of see the same in the North. And what is it, do you think, about your generation that's so fucking amazing that we couldn't get the job done <laughs> a decade ago? Is it just social media? Can you just call each other quicker or something? <laughs> There's amazing organising. Are, are you learning from other people's faults, not my own? We just
2: used to have semaphore. We'd stand. Yeah. Just feel like, I don't
14: know. <laughs> build bonfires and stuff. I feel like there was like three people here wave. that
2: knew what semaphore was, but they
15: really enjoyed
14: it. Try it again. Yeah.
15: <laughs> I think things like social media definitely do help, but I think we're just. Sick of being told that our opinions don't matter, that we're too young, and that we do have to wait. Yeah. I think we've seen so many great people. Greta. There are so many youth activists around the world who are standing up, and seeing other people do it has really motivated the rest of us to get up and do the same and say, actually, no, we matter just as much. And yeah, get your act together.
3: Woo!
2: And to be fair as well, like you're still going to be here, and a lot of other people are going to be dead, and they don't need to care. Do you know what I mean? There's a lot of older what, people that are going be You know like, that
14: we don't.
0: You
2: have, you have 12 years <laughs> left, and like, I'll sh- be dead in six, so work away, you guys, you know what I mean? So I'm shocked enough.
0: by how much you are like your characters. <laughs> I'm so shocked.
2: Not at all. What are you talking about? <laughs> I'm a six four Japanese man, really. <laughs>
0: <laughs> you're probably Scarlett Johansson. Yeah. Now,
2: I'm definitely <laughs>
0: I think it's partly urgency actually I think if when I was at school someone had said you've got 12 years to slow climate change or it's unslowable I probably would have taken a Friday off but when I was at school we were firstly we weren't told about you know we were I mean there was a little bit about all holes in the ozone layer stop using deodorant Nicola (laughs) what have you got to say Um,
2: I wanted to ask you because I really embarrassingly recently only realized about the impact of fast fashion I really was not aware of that at all. It was a total blind spot for me, and I think for a lot of people. But um, just basically practical changes that we all not could make, like we all actually really need to make them now. What do you think are like the things that we could like take away from here and just implement in our lives? Oh, that's
0: a good one. What can we do? Save us!
14: (laughs) (laughs) Did I say that out (laughs) loud?
15: I think some of the main things are just really small changes, changes to your diet switching to more plant-based things um we were talking earlier about meat-free mondays that's good but it does need you know to be it's a not bit. enough yeah also things like selling your clothes once you're done with them reusing them swapping them stuff like that instead of constantly consuming more and more um, you mentioned
2: something really good about charity shops actually that was interesting
15: yeah so obviously that's a really good thing but sometimes they don't have enough storage they don't have the money and stuff like that to keep them all. So sometimes they do end in throwing them out. And what's a really good thing to do if they are suitable for it is to send them to refugee camps and stuff like that where we know that the people will use them and will need them as well. Mm -hmm.
0: I said to Anna backstage, we need to make sure we say if they're suitable because last time I was out in Calais, they pulled out of a bag a sexy Santa and (laughs) summer's dress. And they went, you can't give this to a refugee. Like, you can't... Would she like a sexy Santa costume? And they said, the weirdest thing they ever got was a sexy bee costume. And I said, what did you do with it? And one of the volunteers went, I took it home. <laughs> we had the head of the Climate Council on the Guilty Feminist. And she said, the three things that you can do individually, no one really wants to do. One is plant-based diet. And she was saying, meat free Mondays just isn't enough. She said, if you can go for vegan if you can, but do as much plant-based as you can. So do I need to eat meat now? Do I really need something dairy? And try and have that default. If we all do 80% of the right things 80% of the time, that would make a huge shift. Uh, The other thing she said uh, was, um, fly as little as you can. Don't just think, oh, I'll definitely fly. And the other one uh, was, don't have children. That that was the most controversial one amongst the audience. But Siobhan, who says, "Oh, oh, oh, you haven't had a child today. Not today.
14: Not a baby today? No. I'm not going have one tomorrow. No, so. no. and not the day's day, nearly over you. now and like <laughs> so that's a whole day that I haven't had a child, so she's Take a... that bees! She's a fucking eco warrior. No, Siobhan. I'm just doing my bit.
16: Can you imagine if I turned around and was like, "Mom,
0: <laughs>
2: <laughs>
0: Anna, can you please say one sensible thing to round this off? Why have you brought us <laughs> out? This is insane. I don't know. He asked them, I was like, "What? In, we told them we'd make <laughs> it fun. Just
15: think about the small changes that aren't going to make a massive difference to you, but in the long run will make a big difference. And also, if you can, please, please, please come along to our strike on the 20th. They're happening in most big cities and in some smaller places too. So look up online UKSCN and it has a thing all locations and if you
0: can, come along and support us. Amazing. <laughs> 20th of September, gang. Get in there. Amnesty is supporting the strike. Visit UKSCN.org to find out what's happening in your area on 20th of September.
6: And in the meantime, a big, huge round of applause for sir Monica Jackson! <laughs> Siobhan McSweeney! Thank you
0: so, so much, you guys. That was the serious chat part. I sometimes just think we've got to get on the same page. You know, we don't really always speak the same language. You think you're talking to somebody and you think you're on the same page, but you're not. And tonight is a night when we're going to get on the same page. Because I think the more we're all rowing in the same direction, the more likely we will reach our destination. Example, example. Uh, Last night, true story, I was in a pub and I was trying to explain to this man who was quite posh, to be fair, um, that, that protests and marches can work and objecting can work. And I said, for example, like period poverty. I said, we did this big march, amazing young woman called Amica George. She was still at school. She identified that period poverty was a problem. She told Pink Protest, Scarlet Curtis and her gang. They told me, Guilty Feminists put it out there. We all got together. We all marched at Westminster. We all protested loads of teenagers came out. And guess what? We've changed the law. Uh, It's a sanitary napkin, time positive now available in school for girls. This is absolutely incredible, and I mean, you know, it's still a problem in other ways because if people can't afford them at home, etc. But you know, that's really significant for a 17-year-old to gather an army and for everyone to tell everyone. And for, you know, we've changed the law. And I said, you know, we we marched for period poverty, and it worked. And this guy was just looking at me. He said, "Yeah, but it's not really a real problem now, is it?" Period poverty. It's not really a problem now, period poverty. And I said, "No, but it is. That's the point. It was a big problem. It still is a problem in many ways." And I said, "It's this point." He said, well, "Yeah, but it's just. I think you should just be marching on protest for something more useful." Not period poverty. And I said, but I don't understand why that's not useful. He said, well, period poverty is by definition in the past. And I looked at him and went, do you think period poverty is like period drama? And he went, well, yeah, yeah. I mean, he was an actor, to be fair. So is there anything in it for me? I was like, seriously, that happened? He was like, period poverty, I mean, what's what's the point? I was like, did you think we were out there going, close Fagan's den? Close vagans dead! Shut the workhouses. Where people out of signs saying "Where's love?" As I genuinely thought that's what we were doing—that we were campaigning against the closing of orphanages in 1804. We <laughs> weren't wasting our fucking time. It took me ages to make him understand we were talking about menstruation, and then he just backed out very quietly. <laughs> um, I, I didn't come here to talk about tampons, really. I just came here for a cheeky half. I mean, yeah, I'm sure he was a very nice man. He wasn't. Um, <laughs> so everyone gets sort of whipped up when you come to this kind of event. Like right now, you feel like doing something, don't you? But then, you know, the next day happens and, you know, you're hungover Alfonso and you, you've got a job to do, you've got all sorts going on, and you don't. Um, so what we thought is we want a secret policeman activity that we can do regularly together. So we came up with something called Truth to Power Hour. And so this happens regularly on Fridays, and where we all come together for just one hour between three and four o'clock. And obviously, if you do it a bit before that, or a bit after that, it doesn't matter. It's more the idea that we're going to get something trending, push, and we speak directly to the people who can do something. So we might act uh, the Home Secretary, we might act Bolsonaro for example we say hey this is what we want and suddenly that force gets loads of tweets at the same time or amnesty have some kind of joint email that if you click through they will send the email for you or you can sign the petition and sometimes you think oh god how many petitions have I signed does it really do anything but it does because if you get a certain amount of signatures then it has to be discussed in the house of commons we have all sorts of ways if we are busy we can plug into amnesty who've worked out how to speak truth to power um, so, what you need to do is follow Amnesty on Twitter, at Amnesty UK, and it's the same on Instagram, I think. Now, what you'll find is at Amnesty UK, on Fridays, uh, you will go there and you will find a Truth to Power Hour tweet, which will be pinned. Now, what you're going to do then is read the urgent action, uh, you make a video, you make a little 45-second video, or you can share a message with solidarity, and you can get your followers to do the same. Now, this is really the trick. So far, Truth to Power has been going really well, but we need you not just to have solidarity and tweet the person that we're trying to tweet who's powerful, um, but to get other people to speak Truth to Power because that's when it will go out. So you now have to be an ambassador as well. You have to say, hey, everyone, can you help me do this? Because that's when we're really going to get lots and lots of people doing it. Already, we've found we've done a real soft launch for it. We've just started doing it without much hoopla at all, and we found it works. Um, So, for example... Uh, There were women in Saudi Arabia who campaigned that women should be allowed to drive. And eventually, they campaigned so well, guess what? Women can drive in Saudi Arabia, they changed the law. Hurrah! But what happened to the women who campaigned? To make an example of them and say, oh, we don't want more people asking for more things, they imprisoned those women. And it is not nice to be in a Saudi Arabian prison, like bad, bad things have happened to them. So we got together on Truth to Power Hour to directly uh, tweet Saudi Arabia and send emails to Saudi Arabia to say, we don't want this. We won't stand for this. This is not okay. And would you be impressed if I told you that we had reached a million people with that truth to power? Would you be impressed? Well, then you're going to be really impressed when I tell you <laughs> that it reached 26.3 million people. <laughs> 26.3 million people. That's incredible. That's really incredible. So we need you to get involved in truth to power Hour. Go there on Fridays, see what's happening, and tell other people. And it's one really simple way. If you think, oh, God, what can I do? I hate being aware of things. Then I can't do anything about them. I get really frustrated. This is a really simple way that you feel you actually can be involved in something greater than yourself. It's come to that stage of the evening where we only have one more incredible act. Put your hands together.
8: Fantastic to be here, me and Grace. um, We are gonna sing a song by our absolute hero, the legendary Victoria Wood.
16: sat one night the sky was clear the stars were bright the wind was soft the moon was up Frida drained her cocoa cup she licked her lips she felt sublime she switched off Gardner's question time Barry cringed in fear and dread as Frida grabbed his tie and said Let's
8: do it, let's do it, do it while the mood is right I'm feeling appealing, I've really got an appetite I'm on fire with
16: desire, I could handle half the tailors in a male voice choir Let's do it, let's do it tonight but he said, I can't do it, I can't do it I don't believe in too much sex And this fashion for passion It turns us into nervous wrecks It's a pity, the nitty gritty I've taken eleven episodes of Holby City So I can't do it, I can't do it tonight So she said, let's do it, let's do it Do it till our hearts go boom Go native,
8: creative, living in the living room This folly is jolly,
16: bend me over backwards on my hostess trolley, let's do it let's do it tonight but he said, I can't do it I can't do it, my heavy breathing days are gone, I'm older, I feel colder, it's other things that turn me on I'm imploring, I'm boring let me read this catalogue on vinyl flooring I can't do it, I can't do it tonight so she said, let's do it let's do it, have a crazy night of love, I'll strip bare. I'll just wear stilettos and an oven glove Don't starve a girl of a plover Dangle from the wardrobe in a balaclava Let's do it, let's do it tonight But he says, I can't do it, I can't do it I know I'll only get it wrong Don't angle for me to dangle My arms have never been that strong Stop pouting, stop shouting You know I pulled a muscle when I did that grouting I can't do it, I can't do it tonight Let's do it, let's do it Share a night of wild romance Frenetic,
8: poetic This could be a last big chance No caution, just
16: contortion Smear an avocado on my lower portion Let's do it, let's do it tonight Said. I can't do it, I can't do it, I've got other little jobs on hand, I don't grouse around the house, I've got a busy evening planned, stop nagging, I'm flagging, you know as well as I do that the pipes won't lagging, I can't do it, I can't do it, it's enough, Let's do it, let's do it while I'm really in the mood Three cheers, it's been
8: years since I caught you even semi-nude Get drastic, gymnastic,
16: wear your baggy wife runs with a loose elastic Let's do it, let's do it tonight he said, I can't do it, I can't do it, I must refuse to get undressed I feel silly, it's too chilly to go without my thermal vest Don't choose me, don't use me, my mother sent a note to say you must excuse me I can't do it, I can't do it tonight Let's do it, let's do it I really want to run amok Oh yeah? Yeah,
8: let's wiggle, let's jiggle Let's really make the rafters rock Tell me more Be mighty,
16: be flighty Come and hold the buttons on me flame-proof Mighty, let's do it Let's do it tonight Alright, so when you put it that way <laughs> I suppose Let's do it, let's do it, let's do it. Let's I do really it. want to rant and rave Let's go Cos I know just how I want you to behave Baby on the bottom with a woman's weekly.
0: With Truth to Power, Hour, follow at Amnesty UK and get ready to take action at three p.m. on Fridays. Today's action is to support the climate strikes on the twentieth of September. Please get involved. If you would like to become part of the movement and join Amnesty International UK, please visit amnesty.org.uk/join. If you would like to donate to help protect human rights around the world, it's amnesty.org.uk/join. Donate. And so one, and one of the boys, so sweetly, he just went, But bees are inherently sexy because they're saving the planet. <laughs> Bless you. Uh, don't make that noise. Uh, Siobhan, <laughs> Siobhan, you cannot wait for the children to do Give it. Give me a
14: steak now. No. <laughs> no. 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 No.
2: I think, no. I think the message is don't eat a bee, but you can ride a bee. No. <laughs>
0: None of Take these messages
14: head. are the messages
0: on my clipboard. <laughs> that's the official message no. Deborah.
2: Ride, the ride the bees. The bee. Ride the
0: bees. is not the message. Ride the bee, write a bee. Let the bees ride the plants. That's yes. what it is. The bees ride flowers, yes. and that's good. <laughs> that's not on my clipboard either. No. 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 <laughs> so, just to be
14: very clear, put the oh. wind out now. <laughs> and another thing, right? No. <laughs>
0: the, we had the head of the Climate Council on... Or the CEO of the Climate Council on... The, on the...
1: Mom deserves better than a drugstore card. This Mother's Day, surprise her with a truly special personalized card from Moonpig.